Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. I want to speak with you today on what's entitled Beholding Him. We're in the second part of our series, Jesus People, and we really spoke last week about becoming like Christ. And I want to just set the stage and, and reiterate some things from last week because it's, I believe that this is, like I said, this is the heart of where we're moving as a church. Um, this is the mission. It's Jesus. It's for our lives to look like his. We shared last week in Romans 8.29, it says that for, for those that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, meaning Christ, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That is a powerful, powerful statement. It says that before you and I were ever born, God had a plan. He saw everything from the beginning. He saw the creation. He saw the fall. And then he saw himself laying down his very own life to restore everything that was lost. The reason God is conforming us to the image of Jesus is because Jesus lived the life that we were always meant to live. He came. He modeled it. That's why he didn't just go to the cross first. He first lived a life completely obedient to the Father, completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to show us what it was always meant to look like for us. Then he goes and dies the death that we were meant to die. And then he resurrects and pours out his spirit at Pentecost to empower us to do the very things that he did. That is why it is said that he is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He has opened the door for a new people to walk and follow him. And last week, I really wanted to make sure that we're clear that I wanted to just debunk and just come against these places where we allow ourselves to follow this track of discipleship, which is following Christ, but we allow ourselves to follow uh, Christ, we say, but really we're, we're conforming more to our leader, to our traditions, to our denominations, which that's fine if you have your, your preferences and your positions like we shared last week, but ultimately the most important thing is that we cling to the person of Jesus because he is life, and he is the way, and he is truth. And Paul said in Colossians, like we shared last week, no matter how amazing all those other things are, your traditions, your festivals, he said, he says, just know one thing. Do those, that's fine, but just know only Jesus can change lives. Only Jesus has the power to break sin in your life. And therefore, our lives need to be rooted in him. And I want to also come against this place where I think so many of us can settle. I know I've been there. We can confess truths about Christ. We say he's the prince of peace. Yet our lives are bound in restlessness. We confess that he's the fountain of joy, yet we're gripped by anger. And we think, isn't that just the way it's supposed to be? Isn't Christianity just about confessing things and knowing things here? But we all know that there's really not any change that's taking place. But Christ came to, again, live a life and then to give us that life. That's why we shared last week, it's not about a better me and a better you. It's about dying to self so that Christ can live through me. Literally, he becomes my very source for living. And I'm not saying that we don't have our struggles in life, but, but God wants to break these places where we settle and just say, I can confess that he's this. I'm a new creation, but man, when I, when I live my life, there's just no, there's no change at all. Jesus wants to know that there is an actual life that he wants to live through us. And we spoke about that, that becoming like Christ. But today I want to begin to talk, I want to add another layer to that, but I really want to talk, well, how does this happen? 
I tell you what, it's not by striving. It's not by sweat. It's by surrender. And then it's by this just simplicity of beholding his glory, which already lives inside you when you were born again. And the scripture, as we're going to see, as you behold him and learn to live a lifestyle of which you, you spend time with him, this incredible truth, you begin to be transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. It's the most beautiful thing. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 7. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. I'm going to read through a few verses here right into the first verse in chapter, uh, uh, chapter 4. Now, I just want to be clear here. I want to just set the stage and give you a little background here. The Apostle Paul, because when you catch what he's doing here, this is just what he's about to speak over us and God's destiny for each and every one of us is just mind-blowing where God wants to take each and, and every single one of us. There's no one exempt here. No matter what your background is, no matter what you have done, this word applies to you. And Paul, what he's doing is he's, he begins to, you're going to see, he begins to make this comparison to the old covenant the Old Testament, the way we once related to God, and now the New Covenant, the New Testament, now the new way that we relate to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And he begins to go through, and he gives these, he really just kind of draws this line and, and makes it so clear what the old was like and what the new is like. The old was based on law, the new was based on grace. The old was based on the letter, the new is based on the spirit. The old brought death, the new brings life. The old brought condemnation, but the new covenant now through Christ brings righteousness. The old brought bondage, but the new brings liberty. The old was written on tablets of stone, but the new covenant, it's written on your heart. The old is a fading glory, and the new covenant is an eternal glory. And the old one is based on Moses as the mediator, and the new covenant is based on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the mediator. And Paul begins to just break down this whole, this whole picture of the old and the new, showing that there was a, a measure of glory in the old, but ultimately it was coming to an end to point to a better way, a new covenant. And the whole point is he's, he's coming to this final point, which is the glory of God, the manifest presence that is available now and living in us that we can interact and commune with. And when we do, we are being radically changed into that same image. One last thing before we read this scripture I want to just share with you. Paul is also referencing this portion of scripture from the Old Testament in the book of Exodus where Moses, again, he's, he's the mediator of the Old Covenant. Moses went up to Mount Sinai to, to receive the, the stone tablets, the, the Ten Commandments. And when he was there, he communed with God. And while he was communing with God in, in the presence of God and the glory of God, his face, literally, it says, began to beam and shine. And when he came down to speak with the people, the people like Moses, they were a little freaked out. They said, you're literally shining. You need to put a towel or something over your face. And he, he puts a veil over. And I'll just share that. I'll, I'll speak more into that. But that's part of the background here. But I want to speak on where God is taking us into this place of glory and how it's through the beholding that we are being transformed into that. So, so verse 7 of chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians says this. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, 
which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So listen to me. This is what he's, what he's saying. The law, the law has a measure of glory. It reflects the very nature of God. And ultimately, anything that points you to your need for Jesus is a beautiful and glorious thing. So Paul begins to speak on this old covenant. He says, look, the law, the, the old way, he says, though, it brought death. Why? Because the law could only show you the dirt on your face. It could not give you the ability to wash it off. So therefore, what the law does is, is it shows you this is how you should be living. You say, oh my goodness, I'm dirty, but it doesn't give me anything to clean. In the new covenant, the Spirit of God comes and completely washes a man and a woman. And that's why there is life in the new covenant. So he's saying if there was a measure of glory in the old covenant that actually in the end would only produce death, how much more by the Spirit now in the new covenant that produces life is there glory in that? Verse 9 says, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the old way, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it. In other words, this old covenant has a measure of glory, but in actuality, compared to the new, it really has none at all if you really were to compare it. And then verse 11, I'll read, it says, For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. In verse 12, it says this, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So Moses, when he comes down off the mountain, he has to put a veil over his face. And Paul tells us something that we probably would have never recognized in the original scriptures as we read. Paul says he puts a veil over his face because this law was just being instituted and he did not want the Israelites to know that this thing was about to come to an end. They were just receiving it for the first time, but he didn't want them to know this glory was going to be a fading glory. And verse 14 says, but their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So Paul says when people still try to relate to God through the law, through, through the ways of Moses, he says there's a veil that still remains, and they cannot see the full glory of God. He explains that basically in this context, the Jews didn't realize that everything was pointing to a better way, a new covenant that was coming in which we would be able to relate to God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he says now in verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. What an incredible statement. He's speaking about the born-again experience. And he does not say the veil is removed and then one turns. He says when one turns, then the veil is removed. The grace of God is reaching out and drawing all men unto him. But man must respond and say yes to that calling. And when they do, this incredible thing takes place. The veil is removed and they can gaze upon the beauty and glory of God that is seen as we'll see in the person of Jesus Christ. And verse 17 says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. When you were born again of the Spirit, there's no longer condemnation. There's no longer bondage. You are set free by Jesus. 
And here it is, verse 18. This is where I really want to focus on today. And it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Paul finishes out this whole point of showing how superior the new covenant is in every way. He comes to this final point in which he's saying that the glory of God is unveiled to us now. And we can gaze upon it, beholding. I'll, I'll share more what that means. And as we behold the glory that lives inside of us now, he says we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. The very same thing that we behold. Chapter 4, verse 6 tells us this. Incredible truth, it says that the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So literally, God's glory was seen in Christ. So when you behold Jesus, you behold the full glory of the Lord. And what is God's glory? It's his manifest presence. It's where it's the weightiness of God in which all of his characteristics shine brightly. His honor, his justice, his goodness, his beauty, his majesty. In the glory of God is all of that unlimited. And this is literally saying that we have access to gaze upon that in the person of Jesus by the Holy Spirit now. And when we make it a lifestyle of ours to behold that, we are literally being transformed into that glory from one degree to another. This means as Christians, you are not just simply getting a new hairdo. That's not what it means to be a new creation. You're not just simply dressing different. You're not just getting a new vocabulary, a new friends. You are literally being metamorphed from the inside out that you would literally radiate and shine the glory of God, which is what we were always destined and intended to be. Because Jesus came, we are literally being conformed into Christ that when they see us, they will ultimately see Jesus, his goodness, his beauty, his brilliance would shine from our life. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. This is where God wants to take us. It's his calling for each and every one of our lives. And we're moving from one degree of glory to another. Moses's was a fading one, so he had to put the veil over. It says ours just keeps going and increasing and increasing as we behold the Lord. You know, in Romans 3.23, it says, For all fall short, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The implication is that we were intended to live in this glory realm with God, of which our lives were literally reflections of who he is, but sin robbed us of that. But Jesus has come and made a way now for us to, to behold him and to begin to be transformed into that image once again. Literally, our lives are beginning to reflect who God is. And once you grab a hold of this, where God wants to take us, what he wants to do in our lives, all of that petty stuff goes out the window. All of the discouragements, all the distractions, all of that stuff that we get so caught up on, you realize God is transforming me to reflect and, and, and walk in his glory? Man, I, why would I even waste my time on any of, of that other stuff? 
And he did everything he needed to get me to that place by giving up his son. You, you realize, man, there, there's, you keep the main thing the main thing when you understand this is where God wants to take us. When you capture this reality that God is literally transforming you little by little to literally live the life of Christ and to reflect and just radiate his glory, it completely wrecks your life in a good way. It turns it upside down and you realize, man, there is a bigger purpose that God has for my life than maybe I've been living for. In verse 18, it starts by saying, and we all. There is no one who is exempt from this. This is the heart of God. Everyone that comes into a relationship with Jesus, he says, I want to, through this process, make you look like Jesus. I want your life to shine forth my glory and my beauty. It's his call for every single one of us because I think many of us look at our lives, we look at our past, we look at all the things we've done, and we just disqualify ourselves and say, no, nah, that's, that's not for me. There's no way he can be speaking to me on this. Madame Goyan, who I, it's, a, it's a woman I've been reading about and reading her works a lot from, uh, she lived in France back in the late 1600s, 1700s, just incredible works that she has. She had such a, a love for Jesus And she said, just as we have all been called to salvation, so we have all been called to the depths of Christ. All of us, God wants us to know him in his fullness. He wants all of us to taste and see. He's not just a God to be memorized. He's not just a God to to learn facts on. He he says, taste and see. My sheep hear my voice. There's so many uh, scriptures that speak to the fact that God wants to be experienced and he's a personal God in which he wants his life to be lived through ours. And here's to bring you hope in this. His desire to give himself, Madame Goyon also says this, his desire to give himself is more than your desire to lay hold of him. He is passionate about accomplishing this mission and bringing you to a place where your life looks like Jesus and your life is radiating his glory. He is passionate about it more than you are. When you run, when you drift, when you go cold, when you get dry, God is faithful and committed to you to see this take place. And if you look through the scriptures and you look at the men and women of faith through history or also just through church history, you see David, Elijah, Moses, Hannah, Esther, Mother Teresa, Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, A.W. Tozer, you look at all this, you'll realize one thing. Their, their education levels differ, their upbringings differ, their nationalities differ, their language differs, their economic status differs, everything about them differs except one thing. And obviously, it tells us God really doesn't care about any of that stuff. These people had a heart, their, their heart was bent towards God. They had this this consuming passion to know God and to walk with him. And therefore, God says, this is available for everyone. It does not matter. Don't disqualify yourself because any of those things are past. This is the heart of God and where he wants to take you. And so what is beholding? If God wants to bring us into this place where we are literally being transformed into the same image of glory that we are beholding, how do we get there? It's, It's through the actual beholding of him. And we'll talk this week and maybe even weeks to come on this because this is so important. This right here, I just feel like this sums up the Christian faith, or at least it's like you don't grow past. This is the foundation of it. And real simple, when you behold, it means not just to look, 
but to look with attention. You see, I see all of you right now, but if I were to behold one of you, I would begin to fix my gaze upon you. It's bigger than eyesight. It's literally every part of my being, my, my mind, my heart, my soul, my will, my emotions, everything is being directed towards this thing. It's a position. It, is, it, is, it speaks of an intensity of this consuming passion of which you behold something. You are so entrenched with this. I mean, this thing is your main focus. It is a, a life that prioritizes the presence of God. When we are people that are beholding, it means that we are people who say, God, you are most important, and I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure that you are my primary focus in my life. And I'm telling you this, and we'll talk about some practical things this week, next week. When we begin to get away with God and behold him in this very simple way, that's what I'm realizing. The Christian faith, I, it's a lot simpler than I ever realized. This, and we're meant to be characterized by rest and joy. And it's real simple. We just begin to gaze upon his beauty that already lives inside of it and commune with him. And, and, and as we do that, you will see your heart and heart just melts. Man, I go in with hard heart, and it's just simple. I've lost my gaze on him. I've become distracted. And the moment I refocus, it's like my heart just begins to be touched and melt. My, places where I find discouragement, hope is completely restored. In the presence of God, there's just... just Incredible things take place, sometimes painful things. God reveals things, God roots things. But in it all, it's this glorious process when we just commune, commune with him. And throughout scripture, you'll see throughout scripture that this idea of fixing our eyes and gazing upon the Lord is, is almost, it's equivalent with faith. It's used throughout scripture to be used simultaneously. And I'll give you, I'll give you one example in Hebrews 12 too. It basically sums up the Christian faith, this race that we are running. And in it, in it, it says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Literally, to characterize the Christian walk is it's a people who don't just watch Jesus for a moment, don't just come in and watch. Literally, they are people who have fixed their eyes, meaning their whole being is fixed on Christ from beginning to end. He's the pioneer and he is the perfecter of our faith. And that is what it means to be a people of beholding, is learning to be consumed with Jesus where he is our primary focus. And one of the best ways to speak practical do this is simply getting away with God. You cannot replace this. Jesus taught this. We see it in his life. He would constantly be alone and then live from that place of intimacy. There's just no way around it. We have to be a people that learn to reshape our lifestyles so that our time with Jesus is most important. It's in that place where we experience this glorious life exchange, and Jesus becomes more than a name in a Bible. When you encounter his presence, please hear me on this. Some just say, no, nah, it's, just, it's just, this, just this thing that we just know in our mind. No, he's a living person through the Spirit that is meant to be encountered. It's just so glorious when you're alone with God and you just are experiencing with him and God's revealing things and he's speaking words to you through the written word. There's nothing like it, I promise you. You start to do that, you start to close that door as God as, as it says in the word, shut the door when you pray and just you and him and you begin to experience him, I promise you this, it will be the favorite part of, of your day. You will not be able to wait. There are times, listen, I go through ups and downs, but there are seasons when I get in and I'm in one now, so it's beautiful. 
where I can't wait for my alarm to go off in the morning. When everyone's just sleeping, I could just get along with Jesus. I'm, Jesus, here I am. Lord, I've come to meet with you. And let me share you this to give you something a little more practical. There's, there's so many ways that we can do this. One of the ways that I really love, and it, I've heard it worded this way, is praying through the scriptures. So you're for like, okay, I, I get along with the Lord, but what does this look like? Praying through the scriptures is one of my favorite ways to actually not just like be there and doing stuff, but actually having connection with the Lord. And what I mean is you can just read through a bunch of scriptures and sometimes, I don't know if you've ever done that, and you're like, I don't know, I just didn't feel anything. And sometimes you don't, and that's not, it's not about a feeling, but sometimes you can, you can just read them, just be like, man, I feel like I didn't make connection at all with the Lord here. And, and we just kind of check something off. But when I, when I pray through the scriptures, I may take a scripture like John 3.16, right, one that we know. And instead of just reading in bulk, I'll just take that, right, for God so loved the world. And I'll be in the room by myself, and I'll just stop and think about that. For God so loved the world. And you start to say, Lord, you didn't just love the world, you so loved the world. And I'm a part of that world. Jesus, you so love me. And you just send this stillness with him. And you just stop and say, Lord, thank you for loving me like that. That you gave your son. I didn't ask for it. No one twisted your arm. You gave him. It's your desire. Lord, I thank you that you love me and your love is action. I thank you that you didn't want me to perish, Lord. I thank you that I have eternal life. And you just begin to pray through scripture like this. And I promise you, in this time with the Lord, it becomes so rich and so heavy. And it's more now you're actually making connection with the Lord. So I encourage you to try praying through the scriptures even this week and see, uh, and see what the Lord does. And I promise you it'll be rich. But the scripture that we've just read in, in verse 18, it tells us this incredible truth that it, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into that very same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, what you behold, you become. In fact, I go a step further and say, you actually reproduce what you behold. You ever, when you were a little kid, get a cut on your arm and, or you fall down and everything's fine until you look at it and then you see the blood and you start screaming and the pain just starts overwhelming you? It's like what you, what you give your attention to grows. It reproduces. What are you beholding? Is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? Is it all the day-to-day -day stuff of how am I going to wear this, money, all this stuff? God says, make him your priority. Behold him. And as you do that, seek first him. As you do that, you're going to see the very person of God reproducing himself in your life. We are like mirrors. I think I may have shared this a while back one time. I don't remember, but we're, we're, we reflect what we behold. And how many of you love to look up at the sky at night and see that moon that's just beaming with light. You ever see that, right? It almost like lights it up like it's, like it's midday. But here's what's amazing. The moon has no light in itself. The only way, reason why the moon actually has any light is what it's doing is there's certain times where it will position right with the sun where there's just this direct line. And the more or, or in, in more direct alignment it is, the more it reflects that light. So when you see that, that glorious night sky that just lit up like it was almost midday, really it's the moon reflecting the light of the sun. 
And so it is with us when we continually position ourselves before him, learning to make this priority in our life, I promise you what's going to happen is you are going to be radiate and reflect the glory of God, the, the bright light of God is going to be beaming from, from you. You can always tell when you've encountered someone that beholds the Lord. You know, and if you're new in the Lord, you, still, you know when you've met someone to say, man, the character of Jesus just shines out of this person. I see it in their eyes. I see it in the way they talk. I see it in their manner, mannerisms. I see it in the way they touch. I see it in the things they value. I just see Jesus all in this person. Let me tell you, that's not reserved for any one person. That's a person who beholds Jesus, spends time with him like that, and as they do that, their lives are literally beginning to reflect the very person of Christ. You can be a Christian for 50 plus years, <laughs> And the only time that you have any moment of really beholding is maybe at an altar call on a Sunday. You take that person, you take a baby Christian of one year, a few months in, but that baby Christian learns the secret of closing the door and saying, I'm not here to just go through a checklist. God, move however you want and just begins to worship. Let's the Lord move him. I promise you that at the end of a year, that baby Christian will reflect Jesus in a greater measure. And it's not about this comparison, but I want to make a point. It's not about stringing together consecutive years of confessing Christ. It is about encountering the glory of God. This is what God has made available for us. And when we do that, we are being transformed into that very same glory. And the beauty is, is that we behold and God transforms. We don't have to do anything else. He simply says, come and enjoy me and be with me. And as you do that, you don't even realize our culture is so backwards. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? He says, just behold. And in that, you are being transformed. It doesn't stay there. Well, someone say, it doesn't, so we have to go live it out? Of course. My point is, we're not trying to do things to become something. We are spending time with Christ. And in that, he is transforming us so that when we live these things out, it's just a natural outpouring of who he is making us. It's completely different than trying to strive and, and become something. And so if we grasp this, that God wants to transform us so that we would radiate his glory, and if this is where he's taking us, and if it's all about what we place our attention on, then you better understand why. You have an enemy that I don't even like to speak like that, but just, we just need to put it out there, who wants to distract you and get your eyes off of the Lord. Because if beholding him makes you into his image, then not beholding him will cause you to remain in your own image. And so he wants you to have your eyes taken off of him. He wants you to be so consumed with self-examination, all of your problems, all of your things going on in your life, all of the, the worries and concerns that you're so plagued by these things that you never have time to fix your eyes on Jesus. And I know because I've walked through this many times. And so if your eyes are on comparison, if your eyes are on judgment, if your eyes are on criticism, if your eyes are on unforgiveness, meaning spiritually eyes, that, the only way your eyes can be on that means you have to take your gaze off of him. And the moment that happens, listen, when you realize God's taking you here, he wants you to reflect and, and live in, in this glory and the enemy just wants you just so sidetracked of just so consumed with self, so introspective and all these things going on so that you would not gaze upon the one thing that would so change your life if we actually prioritized it. We must be a people that behold. In fact, listen to this. The proper way of fighting sin, listen to this, this is so important. 
How, how many times have when, I, when I've struggled with sin, I try to fight the sin myself, and I just keep doing it? You ever, like, you ever drive down the road, and you don't want to cross over a, a line, so you look at the line, and you start crossing over as you look at it. You're like, oh, man, you had to keep your eyes straight. Listen, we try to battle all the sin in our own life. We struggle with lust and all these other things. The answer is simple. It's we fix our eyes back on him so that we are so consumed by his glory and his goodness that before you know it, you look back and say, oh, my goodness, I haven't watched porn in three months. Oh, my goodness, I haven't been using drugs or drinking like that in a year. I can't believe what's happened. You're so caught up in him. It's different than you trying to fight this thing in your own strength. That's the opposite of the gospel. We gaze upon his beauty. I'll give you another example. I'm using a lot of astrology today. <laughs> How many of you guys love a good sunrise and sunset? It's beautiful, right? Um, all right, so Earth rotates around the sun in 365 days. That's where we get a year. While it's doing that, it's also making these miniature rotation. It spins on an axis that takes 24 hours. So it's making the, it's spinning at 24-hour clips around the sun uh, for 365 days. That's where we get days and years. Now, the sun moves a little bit, but in actuality, the sun's really not moving. So when we experience a sunrise and sunset, it's not the sun that has moved. The earth is turning. So when we experience darkness, it's not because the sun has moved. It's because we've turned from the light. And then when we come back, we see the light again. Listen, that is exactly what it's like in our life. It's that simple. When we experience this chaos in our life, it's, we've been sidetracked. We've lost the beholding of him. And all it is, it's not about me saying, I'm going to beat this thing today. I promise you, you do that, you'll just fall flat again. I'm a master of that. <laughs> I remember back in my day, I used to wake up and say, no, today I'm not going to do what I've been doing in all that crazy life. Uh, by 9 o'clock, I was in work, and I was already just a mess. I, you can't do it that way. What you do is you gaze upon him. You redirect your attention to him. And the other thing I'll share with you, the other thing that, that comes in the way is busyness. I think busyness is probably the greatest enemy of beholding. And in our culture, we just don't know how to really sit still. And so this idea of, of making time to be with the Lord, it's like there's, there's no way. I've got to do more. I've got to keep going. got to keep going. I mean, I, I can't even really watch a movie anymore. I'll be honest. We try to watch a movie at night, and I've got my phone. I've got other things. I'm, I'm running around doing all this crazy stuff. I just can't sit there. I can never take naps, so I feel like I'm missing out on something. And I've just, I've just realized we have such a hard time. We're such a busy people. And so many say, I don't hear the Lord. He doesn't speak to me. I promise you this. The Lord is always speaking. This world is sustained by his word. Sure, there may be some seasons where there, you feel that there's the true silence, but ultimately, it's really because we just don't settle down enough to actually hear his voice. And Eric Gilmore, who did School of His Presence here one time, he shared something that's so uh, rocked me, I've never forgotten it. He said, quietness is something that's external. Stillness is something internal. In other words, you can shut the door to be with the Lord, and it could be a quiet room, but you could be chaotic inside. You can be racing with all this worry and all this other stuff, and that just takes discipline, all right? This is something proud. That just takes discipline. When you find your mind and going, when you're with the Lord, you just have to bring it back. That's why reading through the scriptures is one of the great ways to get into this place of stillness with the Lord. There's something so beautiful 
when we're just quiet before God. Remember, it's not our words to him that change us. It's when he speaks to us. And in that stillness, as you're just reading the word and spending time, I promise you, you'll hear the Lord begin to speak in an incredible, incredible way. We have a culture that's so fast-paced. We love to go, go, go. And so everything's on the fly. And man, I'm so guilty of this. I come in, I, I, I listen to my one song, I read my one page of my devotional, I get out. Listen, I'm just gonna be honest. To, to, this, is a, this is a matter of, of again, it's about prioritizing Jesus and making him everything. And that means that we would have to cut things out. And that means we'd have to actually spend time with him. And being with him is most important. Not the crowds, not all these things we call results. Let me tell you something, you can have all that and if you don't have him, it's empty. He is the only thing that matters. Never let a hurried lifestyle disturb your relationship of just simply abiding in him. You say, Pastor, I look and I don't see. I would tell you, no, still your heart. Really still your heart. If you gaze upon the glory of God, you will never be the same. You cannot stay the same. I think if we're honest, we say, well, I don't really have time to really spend that much with the Lord Listen to me, I'm speaking for myself. The truth is, if we look at how we spend our time, it's actually uncomfortable how it really exposes our true treasures. We have a lot of time to do a lot of things. Listen, if we're going after this, we have to prioritize this. And I say that in a way that, man, when we do, it's the most beautiful, glorious thing when we become a people that behold him. How many of you wanna see a transformed town here? Transformed island, right? Transform people, transform cities. We cannot bypass that. Listen, if we want to really see this happen, I think, I think more I think about this, the word that Crystal gave that the Lord given, I, I just see it all connecting. This can't be reserved for a select few. We can't say, well, the worship team or you know, some of the ushers or I, there's some more mature Christians, they're the ones that are really doing that. No, no, God wants all of us. If all of us become a people of beholding him, we're gonna see radical transformation in our own lives and as a result, that's what is gonna transform this town, this community, this island. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693.